Well, good morning, everyone. And, uh, excited to be here this morning. Uh, let me start off. I had a really, really cool experience uh, this past um, Saturday. Um, you know, Randall and I uh, on Saturday um, went out to the Married a Camp meeting. And if you don't know, Married a Camp meeting is this, uh, this camp meeting, uh, kind of this old school uh, kind of revival time. It's been happening in uh, East Marietta really for the past 182 years. And uh, Randall's family has had a cabin out there since uh, since the beginning, and, and so we got to go out. This is a, a camp meeting. It's really shaped the the spiritual life of Randall and her family, and uh, so it was really cool. This is the first time in the 19 years that we've been married, or 18 years we've been married. I got to go out and and preach at this camp meeting, and uh, so it's a real honor to do that. But the cool part about it was. Um, that Charles Sineth uh, was the one who was out. He was actually introducing me. And that was just really, really cool because in the context uh, of, um, of Randall's life, Charles Sineth is uh, the pastor who baptized her. Uh, he was actually the one who uh, launched uh, Riverstone Church that we were planted from. And, and so to have him get up and, and, and introduce us, to be honest with you, was just an incredible honor. Um, but to be honest with you, more so, it was, uh, it was really moving for me because Charles Stanton is a man that I have utmost respect for, right? He is someone who I would see as a spiritual giant. I would see him as a spiritual father uh, of mine. And so when he got up and began to speak, I have to confess the entire time I'm sitting there, uh, honestly, with, uh, with tears in my eyes, thinking to myself, my gosh, here is this giant of this faith, this man that I ultimately look up to, a spiritual father of sorts in my life, who is standing in front of this crowd of people honoring me and speaking incredible things over me and about me. And in it, I felt affirmed, I felt loved, and I felt encouraged, and I couldn't help but think about uh, the way the Father himself, literally at Jesus' baptism, spoke in a thunderous voice, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And I think it's important as we kind of dive in this morning, because what we see is this incredible reality, obviously for Jesus and the Father, but for my own, even myself, this reality of the Father. The reality of this Father figure who who is speaking in the context of the spiritual family, bringing about a level of affirmation and a level of confirmation and, and who I am and the calling upon my life. And, and, and it was unbelievably encouraging. And it spoke to the core of who I was, the impact, honestly, the impact that, that family can have on me and can have on each of us. And so this morning... As we dive into the message, we're going to be talking about the idea of family and friends. That uh, while I was um, while I was in preparation for this, I began thinking like, God, what are you calling me to do? And and I did this talk uh, at one camp a couple of weeks ago uh, in one of our teaching impact groups, basically these kind of breakout groups with our students. And and when I spoke, I, I, I literally I just recognized and I felt like God was saying this week that this is something I that I wanted to bring to Vintage. One, because it really did speak to our youth. Just the feedback that we got is that, man, it was really helpful. It brought some clarity to things. But honestly, 
also talked to several of the adults who were leaders in the cabins and who were a part of the time. And, and each of them said the same thing. Hey, Steve, this was a primary piece that we talked about in our groups. And honestly, it was it, it was had a, a level of impact in my own life. And so I really felt like God was saying, hey, I want you to bring this this morning. And so as I speak this morning, I'm going to be, uh, I'll tweak it just a little bit, honestly, to, to fit um, kind of this, this setting here at Vintage. But, but I want you to give a heads up. This is kind of what we're going after. We're going after this call of God in the context of family and friends. And specifically looking at Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there, you can. So now, when looking at our lives, it's important to recognize that the relationships that shape us most in life uh, are the relationships we have with our family and friends, right? They have the power to build and they have the power to tear down. And who we are and who we will be in very real ways is impacted by these two relationships. In fact, I, I recognize this morning when bringing up these two relationships that I am confident that it elicits in some form or fashion an emotional response, right? Because we all recognize, we all feel in one way or another how these relationships have maybe positively influenced. And so when we start talking about family and friends, like this is a great thing. Or for some of us, maybe it's more of a negative feeling because we recognize that in the context of our life, the, the family we've been a part of has, has been difficult. It's, we are still dealing with the impact of it, the consequences of it, and maybe the idea of our friends, that maybe it's not exactly what we wanted it to be. And, and maybe there's a sense of loss in the context of that. So with that in mind, if you don't have it, if your Bibles turn to Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, you can just look on the screen behind me. It says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When reading scripture, and I want you to, this is kind of a beginning point. When reading scripture, whenever a writer speaking in the New Testament quotes something from the Old Testament, we must always take note. So as a Bible study piece for yourself to recognize that when we read something in the New Testament that was quoted in the Old Testament, then we need to take serious, serious consideration. The reason is simple. It means that if it was important then, it'll say early on the Old Testament, and then maybe Jesus, one of the writers, then quotes it here, then it means in that whole period of time that that truth was still prevalent and important for the people. So here in the scripture... Paul is quoting from Exodus chapter 20. It's the, it's the part of the Ten Commandments where, where God comes in and says, hey, honor father and mother, right? And so Paul comes in the moment and he is restating it, showing its importance. In fact, Paul does it again in Colossians. And we actually find that Jesus does it in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see Jesus quoting from the Old Testament, specifically this call of children to obey parents in the Lord, to honor father and mother, right? So there may go well with you. The reason this is important because if it was true then, it was in true the day of Jesus, then it is true today. It has this eternal nature to it, right? It is of consequence. It is ultimately important that what was true then that was is now still true today. So as we stand in this moment then, and we look at the uh, of the this this verse, we have to recognize that it is still true for us today. That we see the weight and the gravity of because it was true 
early on in the people of God. It was true during the times of Jesus and the times of Paul, which means that it is still true today. So when we step into this verse, we have to recognize that it still has weight. It still carries weight and it still carries importance for each of us. And we have to take it seriously. So in this, let's begin by looking specifically first at the responsibility that we have as children. Now, I will say this as we we launch in. So children, yes, represent our youth who are sitting here today. But but if we have parents, then we are still children. Right. And in the context of that, we have to begin to take this verse serious, whether we are a 70 year old child with 95 year old parents or whether we were here today is in the youth group and having parents that we still live under their roof, that this is still speaking to us. So the first point that I want you to see this morning is this parents are to be obeyed and honored. That's point number one. Parents are to be obeyed and parents are to be honored. Now let's begin this morning as we start and say, because this verse carries weight and because it is important, then we have to recognize that we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. This is super important. We don't like the word responsibility because it means we have to do something. It means we have ownership of something we have to carry out. We may not want to do it, right? That's the idea of responsibility. It's like I have a responsibility to carry out the trash, right, when it gets full. I might not want to take out the trash. Like it might leak all over me. It might be gross. It might be smelly, whatever it may be. But the fact is, if we don't care the trash, then it builds up in our house. So we each have a responsibility to do something, even though inside and in our emotions and our feelings, we may not exactly want to do it, but we recognize it's so important. We have a responsibility. And so this morning, that's what we're getting at. We're talking about this nature of responsibility. And the first responsibility we have as children is that we are to obey and to honor parents. So let's begin with the word obey. The word obey here literally means, and I want you to see this on the screen. I'm going to go through it slowly so you can begin to see it, right? Obey literally means fully listening. With a readiness to execute what is requested. We all understand this idea, right? Obey. That means we come and someone begins, like our parents speaks, and we come fully listening. You know how your parents say, listen to me. Look at me and listen to me, right? The word obey begins at that point that we are actually making uh, a conscious choice to listen, to fully listen And that we're going to stand in a place of readiness to actually execute or to do what has been requested by our parents. So you see that nature of obey, right? We are to obey parents. We are to to listen with the intention and expectation of doing what is asked of us. The word honor on the screen simply means this. It's the attitude behind the act. It's the attitude behind the act. If you do what your parent tells you to do, but you are bitter, fearful, reluctant, and selfish... That's not the right spirit. God is after the attitude much more than he's after the act. Because if the attitude is right, then the act will follow, right? So the idea is not just that I'm listening and I'm going to go do what I'm told to do. It means I'm going to listen and then do what I'm called to do with a heart heart and attitude of, of affection, of desire, and and of respect. And so the idea then is that Obedience and honor go hand in hand, right? Our act and our heart behind it are married together. 
So the expectation of God for all of us who are children, myself and every adult here included, is that we are to obey and honor our parents regardless of who they are and of what they have done. It is good and right in the eyes of God to do this. And Paul teaches us and reminds us that when children do this, it is most healthy. See, the idea for us is that in the context of obedience and honor, God doesn't say, if your parents do what you want them to do, right? If your parents are perfect at being parents, then you will honor and obey. No, the idea is that honor and obedience is due to our parents because of the place that they hold in our life. God's saying, because they are your parents, right, then honor and obedience follows. Not because they do what they're supposed to do. Not because they do something worthy of honor and respect, right? And the idea is this. When Paul comes here and he quotes and, and he says in verse 4, or excuse me, in verse 1, says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's the, that, that phrase, in the Lord, is of utmost importance. Because what Paul is saying is this. Yes, you have to honor and obey parents, not because of what they've done, not because they've been perfect, right? Not because they've earned it. You do it because your honor and obedience is unto the Lord. That's what the phrase means, in the Lord. It's as if I'm honoring and obeying parents Because in doing so, I'm actually giving honor and respect and glory to Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's saying, it's not because they've earned it, but because you respect the Father. It's in the Lord, right? We honor and obey our parents in recognizing that we are doing it as if we are doing it unto the Lord. And this is super important because we find ourselves so often in life... With our parents, man, they're just, man, they're, we're at odds with them. They are, they're not being great at being parents in the moment. We're like, oh my gosh, it's just so hard to honor. And it's so hard to, to obey. It's so hard to respect. But really, I'm doing this not because they've earned it, but because I love Jesus. I'm motivated by my love for Jesus, not by my parents being perfect at who they are supposed to be. And the scripture goes on and makes this really, really interesting point. It says... Honor, it says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, right? Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you. The idea here, Paul teaches us that when children, as children, we honor and obey, it produces the greatest peace in the family unit. That's super important. It may go well with you. We all understand this, right? As children, we, we live in the context of our family, right? And, and things are not going well and there's no peace, then we have to look at ourselves and say, am I part of the reason? Because you recognize that as children, when we live in opposition to our parents, when we live at a place of, uh, of pushing back on everything that they say, right? When we, when we don't listen well, when we dishonor them, what happens in the family? Well, it creates discord, right? There's a lack of peace because we are not doing our part in being responsible in the way that we are showing honor and obedience towards our parents, right? The idea is that when children honor and respect, they don't talk back, they listen and obey, they don't challenge their parents in a selfish way, then there'll be greater peace and blessing in the home. In fact, what scripture teaches here in this kind of a deeper level is that as we as children honor and obey, then it goes well with our family. But then if we as a entire community, let's just say church community, if all of a sudden now children begin to honor and obey parents in the context of their family units and we're all doing that, then there's actually greater peace in life in the entire church community as a whole because we're actually walking in obedience to Jesus, right? Because we're honoring and obeying our parents 
in obedience to the Lord. It just produces peace. And so the idea is that we carry then a level of responsibility as children of, of peace in the home. That if we're not carrying our responsibility, then in some degree we are held responsible for the lack of peace. The lack of peace in our home. And so, I honor and respect my parents in obedience to Jesus with the expectation of peace flowing. But the second key, this is really important, is that parents, parents must honor their children. Parents must honor their children. Now, this is really, really huge. We see this in, in the scripture from chapter verse 4. Let's just read, read along with me. It says, fathers, fathers, this is fathers and mothers, parents in general, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what I want you to see here is that Paul is now speaking to parents and saying, now, let's talk about your responsibility. Let's talk about your responsibility, parents, right? He's saying to them, parents, you must exercise a lifestyle of parenting from the context of love and of compassion instead of one of anger and shame. The idea is like you have to parent in such a way that it's not literally causing anger and animosity and tension in the home, but instead parenting from a place of love and compassion so that peace can reign. Parents must value and invest into their children. Parents, you have a responsibility. One piece that I think is huge here for us to understand is this. In this culture, children, children did not have a voice. Like, children did not carry inherent rights. The only rights that children had were the rights that parents gave them, right? Parents ultimately kind of owned their children. And so in this, there was, no, there was no defects that would come and fight for children. There was no governmental laws on behalf of children, right? No, in Roman culture, it's like parents could do whatever they wanted to do. Their children were possessions. And so kind of the negative things, kind of just uh, going from, from smaller to bigger, the first thing is like a, a parent could literally chain their child to a tree and tell their children to work as long as they wanted them to work. They could sell them, they could sell their children into slavery and nothing could be done about it. Literally, if parents did not like what was going on with their children, they could take their children outside the camp, bring other people and stone them to death. Parents could do whatever they wanted to do and children literally had no rights and no inherent rights. But, but Paul speaks into the moment something revolutionary. He basically says, no, 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 parents, you can't just do what you want to do, right? Children have value. Children are valuable in the eyes of God. You can't just do what you want to do in parenting. No, you have boundaries because each of these children, each of these children have value in and of themselves and you have to honor them. You have to honor them, not a possession. They are someone to be loved, to be encouraged, and to be, have compassion shown towards them. So the idea is God speaking through Paul saying, listen, parents, children from inception until death, they have value. And you have to honor that in the way that you parent. He creates accountability. Another way of saying this, this is kind of in, in this verse, kind of in my own language, would be this. Parents, you want your children to honor and respect you. However, the life you are living towards them, 
The things you are doing and saying, they are so negative and destructive that it's provoking and causing your children to act up and be disobedient. And that is on you. Parents, you want your children to honor and respect you. Then live a life that's worthy of honor and respect, right? Show love and compassion. Do you, how many of you have parents who if you don't do what they want you to do, then they just automatically shame you and they express a, a silent treatment or even an anger towards you in the moment, right? Parents, we have to be bigger than that. Like, in the context of parent and child relationship, who needs to be the mature one? Who needs to express and, and model honor and respect for, for being a human being? Parents do. We're the mature ones. We're the adults. And so in this, Paul's coming and speaking to that. Listen, you have a responsibility. Listen, in this, he's telling parents, honor and respect is hard for anyone to show towards a parent that they are living with very little integrity. Parents, each of us have a massive responsibility to honor our children, to express that in the model. You have a responsibility, again, of modeling for them a love and a peace and a patience, a generosity and a kindness that makes obeying and honoring you more easy because you haven't put up walls in your relationship. The other half, hear this, the other half of peace in your home is on you as parents. It's not just children. And it's not just parents. It is a perfect synthesis, a coming together of parent and child, both doing their responsibility of honoring one another, listening well, recognizing that each person has value. What we have here then in the context of feminist double-sided coin, children have their responsibility to honor and respect and obedience to Jesus. But the other side is the recognition that parents may be doing things that make honor and respect, respect seem more difficult. And they need to wake up in the moment and be honoring and respectful to their children. So with that in mind, you have to begin to say, God, what is my responsibility? Where God, am I missing it? Where am I putting the weight of maybe shame and of guilt upon the other party versus owning my own stuff? And so... With that in mind, recognizing we each have our own responsibility. I want to look at just a couple of things this morning that are really important in the context of the, of the family relationship. And then we're going to look just very shortly at uh, the context of family. So the first thing I want to say, and to be honest with you, is I've gotten feedback. I think this is probably the most important part of the message this morning, is that families are imperfect. That's something we have to remember. I want to write that down. Just entrust it to yourself. Families are imperfect. We know families are imperfect because they are made up of imperfect people like you and like me, right? It's like we each carry our own level of brokenness. We each carry our own level of insecurities. We are carrying our own imperfections into the context of our family unit. One of the things that I wrote down, and I, never, I think this is something that's kind of created myself, but I think it's so true to say parents are just an older version of their younger broken selves. I want to say that again. Parents are just an older version of their younger 
broken selves. Why is this important to recognize? Because when we step into families, right, we have this expectation of our parents kind of being um, perfect, right? We have this expectation of them always doing what they're supposed to do, never saying the wrong thing. We put, a, we put an expectation almost of perfection on them, of, of giving to us without limit and then allowing us to do whatever we want to from our side without them pushing back, right? We expect them to be perfect. And when they aren't, when they do something imperfect, when they do something that we don't want to do, then we like cry, oh my gosh, this is terrible. I can't believe that you would do that. But you have to recognize your parents are imperfect people just like you. They're imperfect just like you. And just as you have your own insecurities, they have insecurities. Just as you've experienced your own rejection in life, which causes you to struggle sometimes. They've experienced their own rejection that causes them to struggle in life. And just as you have fears and anxieties, maybe even worries, that define different parts of your life, then there are things that they are experiencing with fear and worry and anxiety also. And what we have to begin to do is recognize, oh my gosh, my parents are human beings with broken places just like me. They have baggage. And it affects how they parent. And one of the things I talk about all the time, like I can tell a few stories with my dad this morning, is that, you know, I looked at some of the stuff, like my dad's imperfections, and, and I'll never forget, like one time, this real simply came to me almost every night when I was a kid and said, hey, Steve, I just want to tell you I love you. And I'll never forget, I have like 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, something like that. I look at my dad, I'm like, Dad, I know. Why do you always tell me? And he said, because my parents... Never told me. And at the time, I didn't understand the gravity and the weight of that and how it probably impacted my dad. But later on in life, I began to to understand this reality, right? That for my dad's entire life, his parents never said, I love you. They never affirmed him for who he was. As a human being, right? He lived now in this void, this void in his entire life growing up uh, of emotional connection, right? Uh, of, of affirmation. That was something that was really never part. So he made a decision as I came into the world that he was going to tell me that he loved me. But, but here's the thing that I realized with my dad is that in the context of that void of emotional connection, my dad, to be honest with you, at least for a good chunk of my life, had a very, very hard time emotionally connecting with me or showing a, a level of healthy emotion towards me. Like, I, I'll never forget that we were, um, and I was about 15 years old, my, uh, my, and my mom comes to me. My mom comes to me. It was really funny. She said, Steve, I need you to do me a favor. And I'm like, yeah. I said, she's like, hey, can, can you talk to your dad tonight? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Can I talk to my dad? She's like, well, my, your dad came to me and his feelings have been hurt because you really haven't shared anything with him on a personal sense of what's going on in your life. And I mean, you know your dad, you know how he is. And so would you just take some time tonight and just open up with him? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. That's so crazy. My dad hasn't asked me what's going on. He hasn't necessarily been a hyper emotionally present in my life for me to open up to him. It's like, okay. And I was like, okay, mom, I get it. Okay, okay, I will. Right? So we drive to youth. I'm like, I don't know what to say. He picks me back up from youth. That night, we're driving back home, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to talk to my dad about? And so we pull into the driveway, and I know this is the last one. So I'm like, and I just, all of a sudden, I just start talking, right? 
And I don't know, this is kind of like the top of my head. I don't know exactly what I was saying, but just things that were going on in my life and things that God was teaching me in the moment, things we had talked about that night at youth, right? And I get done, and my dad's like, uh, okay, yeah, that's great. That's great, right? And that was it. Right? There was no emotional connection. There was no further uh, explanation, no questioning about what was going on in the moment. It's just like, oh, okay, right. And so I'm like, that's so weird, right? So we walk into the house, and we kind of do our We go to bed that night. Wake up the next morning. My dad worked at AT&T, left every morning about 4.30 to go to work. And so I walk downstairs that night before that morning before going to school, and my mom goes, oh, my gosh, Steve, thank you so much for talking to your dad. I'm like, what? She said, yeah, yeah, your dad came in last night just beaming and glowing about how he had this great conversation. Like, he didn't say anything, right? It was just this, like, one-sided monologue of conversation. What are you talking about? We didn't have this great dialogue back and forth, right? But what I looked so but but it was just like disconnect, right? It was just so, so funny in the moment. But here's what I began to recognize. It's like in my dad, I, later on in life, I began to realize, like, my dad did the best that he could, Right? He had never had it modeled for him, like what healthy communication looked like. He never had it modeled for him about what a, a strong emotional attachment looked like and, and, a, and a strong, this intense relationship that was both, you know, like heart and think, heart and thought, right? Mind and heart, right? Like he, he hadn't been modeled. And so in my growing up, I felt this emotional disconnect with my dad that really bothered me. It really, really just stung me because I'm like, I feel really close to my mom, but I don't feel the same level of attachment and connection to my dad. And until so all of a sudden one day just began to realize, like, no, my dad's doing the best that he can. Like, he's not perfect at it, but he is giving away everything that he has to give away in the context of emotional connection because he is giving more than he ever received himself. And in that moment, I just had to go, God, thank you. Thank you. My dad may not be perfect, but he's doing the best he can. My dad is struggling because of the things that were, were lacking in him. Because, like, listen, like, here's one of the things, again, about my dad. Like, this is, this is crazy. Like, I, I remember the moment. I remember the moment that my, my grandmother, for the very first time, told my dad that he loved her. Or that she loved him. Excuse me, right? The very first time she ever said, I love you. Literally, we're sitting there one afternoon on my back porch, and, and my, grand, we're, my grandparents are coming up to the house, and we're just sitting out talking, and the, we hear them arrive, they get there, and they come through our kitchen, and my dad stands up to go greet them. They walk out on the back porch, and she walks out, and she looks at my dad. Now, listen, my, my dad is six foot four, right, linebacker size. I didn't get that, right? I got, like, the flutist body here, right? Like, I'm the, I'm the flutist guy in the band. That's the body size I have. My dad's got the linebacker body right over here, right? But my grandmother's, like, five foot two. And so she literally comes in and grabs him by the ears and, and by his head and kind of pulls him down. And my dad's, like, really uncomfortable because this is obviously very abnormal. And she looks at him and says, Terry. It's my dad's name. You are my beloved son, and I love you. And then she said it again for dramatic effect. And my dad goes, oh, 
and he was so awkward, right? Because it was so awkward. That had never happened before, right? And then he just kind of stares in the moment, almost frozen, like, what just happened? And then my grandmother makes her way towards me. And, like, I'm emotionally present, right? My parents always tell me they love me, so I know how to receive this. And she, she grabs me in the face, and she says, Steve, you're my beloved grandson, and I love you. And I looked at my grandmother and says, Grandma, I love you, too. And we gave this big, massive bear hug. And that made it awkward for her, so it was great, right? And then I was like, let's just make it even more awkward. So I got up and whatever and told my grandpa and gave him a big hug, right? It was hilarious, right? But there was this moment I recognized, like, this is my dad's story. As a parent with emotional connection and being present for me with his heart and his soul and his mind, like, he was doing the best he could. He was doing the best. In fact, he was doing better than anyone had ever modeled before in his family. And because of that, I, even more healthy, but I had to honor my dad's imperfections. I had to honor my dad's imperfections. So in this, this means, right, that when there's this brokenness in the family, like sometimes, sometimes it's, it's, there's brokenness and imperfections because of things that have gone on in our parents' history and in our parents' past. And we have to begin to, to recognize that. Never forget that before your parents were these all-powerful parents, they were kids with parents, and it shaped who they are. Your parents may be bad at some things that impacts you, distance, unemotional, maybe an abusive. And listen, none of these things are okay, but it's important to recognize something has probably happened to them to get them to the point of where they are today. Unemotionally and detached parents had unemotional and detached parents. I've seen that most of the times that parents who abuse children were abused themselves. And we never, ever, ever say that's okay. But we have to recognize that the place we get to is not to live in anger towards them, but to have a level of compassion. Have a level of compassion. You see, one of the things that I, and I had a conversation with someone recently about this, about just the context of imperfect parents is that in the context of parents, specifically those who were abusive to us, the most healthy thing that we can do honestly for, for ourselves and honestly for them so they're not continuing the cycle is that we break off from them. We literally separate ourselves from them and separate ourselves from the abuse. It's the most healthy thing that we can do in the context of that relationship. But, but one of the conversations I had this week was with someone who, who had literally been abused by their parent. And they heard my message and said, Steve, how do I... How do I do this thing? How do I obey God in the context of, of honoring and obeying my parents, and specifically the specific parent in my life who has abused me? Because I don't feel safe with them. It's not healthy for me to be around them. We have this long dialogue. And kind of what we got to was in the context even of this of imperfection was this. Sometimes the best way to honor parents is not through connection with them, but with compassion. Right. Not connecting with them and being close to them and giving them ourselves in relationship, but just saying, no, the most healthy thing is a disconnect, but to have compassion, to recognize they have experienced their own brokenness. And it's not healthy for me to connect with them, but I do have a compassion for them, just like the father has compassion on those who were broken. And that's the place of honor. 
and respect, right, that we get to is it's not healthy to connect. In fact, the most healthy thing for me to do, to do is to disconnect. But the healthy thing for me to do in honor and respect is to show compassion and get to a place of recognizing I don't, I don't, it's not okay what they did, but I have compassion because their brokenness is birthed out of someone breaking them. And we have to recognize this. Now, with that in mind, the second thing I want you to see is this. This is great news, right? It's the great news of Jesus. Listen, your family and your upbringing do not determine your future. That's huge, right? Your family, your upbringing, they do not determine your future. You know who determines your future? God determines your future. What you have experienced and what shaped you does not define you. Destiny and calling is given by God who sees not who we were or where we came from, but who we are in him as a new creation. Scripture says when we give life to Jesus, we go down into death, right? We die to our old self and we are raised to a new life. This is huge. You are not destined to repeat your family's brokenness. It can end with you. And for those who've had great family experiences, celebrate that and keep it going. Listen, in the context of my life, I did a genogram, right? Kind of looking back at my family history and the idea of like family of origin type stuff. Like where did I come from and what's impacting me, right? What are the sins of my family? Maybe they're just kind of being passed down. So I began to look at that. And I began to look at my, my, my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather, man, he was a guy to church every Sunday, and he had a group of women who he was continually cheating on my grandmother with, my great-grandmother with, right? I mean, he was just a womanizer. My grandfather, God rest his soul, right, came to Christ later in life, but during his life, again, cheated on my grandmother multiple times. But my dad, when my mom passed away at 23 years old, like my when I was 23 years old, my mom passed away. My dad looked at me and said, Steve, I want you to know I never cheated on your mom. And listen, he broke the family curse, right? He broke that. He went down to death, said no more and raised to a new life. He said, that ends with me. That will not be passed down to my next generation. And here I sit today. I have been married to Randall for 18 years and I have never cheated on her. And by God's grace, I never will. It ended with my dad. Listen, the great news of Jesus, our past does not define our future. God defines our future. This is where we want to recognize in the context of family this morning. Again, just kind of summing that up, right? You each, as children and as parents, you have a responsibility, honor, Right to to not show shame, to not live in anger, to students, to the children. We need to be obeying as under the Lord. Our parents may be imperfect. We have to show them grace. Right. We have to recognize their. Now let's shift gears this morning and talk about the context of friendships. Now, friends are secondary to family and how they shape us, but their impact is powerful nonetheless. Friends shape how you think, what you feel about things. They help lead you in one direction or the other. Right. The direction either leads you to who you know you really are and the one you know you really shouldn't be, right? Basically, your friends, they can either influence you for positive or negative, And you need to be honest about this, no matter what your age is, right? It's not just true about students. It's true for all of us at any age. I I see this all the time. When I'm around, when people are around other Jesus people, right? They're going to church, they're in a small group. I see them talking more about issues of faith and talking more about Jesus. But when they are not, guess what they don't talk about? Jesus. And they don't talk about their faith. It's just one of those 
those things that who we're around shapes the way that we think and influences who we are. So then it's really important to be honest and about the friends that are part of our life. Mark Fritchman, who spoke at Man Camp, he said this. He said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Right? The who you're around affects who you are and who you're becoming. You have to be honest with it. So what I, what I did is I wrote this definition down. I came up with it myself. I encourage you either to like it, dislike it, whatever it is. But I want you to hear it this morning. I said, true friends. It was on the screen. True friends are those in your life who are so invested into your life that their presence leads you to be your best you. True friends are those in your life who are so invested into your life that their presence leads you to be your best you. Like, you know what I'm talking about? You're around people and they make you better. You're around people and their presence and the attributes that they're expressing in their life literally cause you to grow and to be the person you know that you want to be. And so when I think about those types of traits, it doesn't take long to come up with a list. Like literally, I made students that that can't take five seconds and just come up with all the traits they could think of that define uh, healthy and true friends. And they came with this long list. Some of the things that I wrote down is that these true friends, they're intentional. They are loving. They are humble. They are loyal. They're honest with us, right? Right? They express forgiveness. There's mutual pursuit. It's not just one person showing energy in their relationship, but they're both showing energy towards loving one another. Right? They actually care about stuff. They have walls down so they can be honest and talk. Right? They ask good questions. True friends listen well. They laugh at our jokes. That's really important to me, right? They enjoy being with you and they're sacrificial. The two questions we have to ask ourselves, number one, are the people in my life today... Expressing attributes that cause me to be my best self. Are my friends that are around me today, are they literally causing me to be my best self? And if they're not, we have to ask, are they really true friends? But the second part we have to ask in kind of owning the the nature of friendship is this. Are we being true friends? Are people who are in our lives, are they being led to be their best self? Because of their relationship with us. Are we leading people to be their best self? And that's where we have to begin being honest. Friendship is vital in the context of our life. It influences us. And we have to be honest about the people who we call friends and then how we are being friends. And in the context of being friends, we may have people that we're living on mission with. We're trying to be Jesus too. Maybe they don't express the greatest traits in the context of their life because they don't know Jesus But even in those relationships, even in those relationships, we still have to have other friends who are being true friends to us and are leading us to be our best self. So with that in mind, let's pray and let's ask God to move in the context of this moment. Jesus, would you help me to engage and embrace my family brokenness and and show grace and compassion to be a better child, and to be a better parent. And Father, help me to be a friend. And I pray to open up doors for me, God, to have true friends. We love you, Jesus. Amen.